Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSillaCast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Friday, December 21st, 2018, and this is show number 711. Well, it's not like any other podcast. This is a podcast that goes on even during the week of Christmas. We've got kids coming in for the weekend and into Christmas, and then we're going off to see Steve's family, but the show must go on, so it's coming out early this week. We do have some good content this week. We've got an article on accessibility tricks, a dumb question, two tiny tips, and Steve's annual tradition of his special rendition of The Night Before Christmas. On Chit Chat Across the Pond this week, Dr. Marianne Gary, also known as Crusher of Dreams, is back. This time, though, it's not an intellectual discussion of higher learning like we've had before. This time, we decided to go through all of our top grammar pet peeves. It's pedantic and annoying because that's really who the two of us are at heart. I hope you'll enjoy it. Look for Chit Chat Across the Pond or Chit Chat Across the Pond Light in your podcatcher of choice, episode number 576. And of course, you can always listen right over at podfeet.com. A while ago, a friend of mine contacted me because his father-in-law, Rich, had recently had a very sudden loss of vision. He knew that I dabbled in accessibility and wondered if I could help Rich get jump-started on what he could do to improve his situation. I have to admit, I was a bit worried that they thought I was an expert in accessibility and that I would be able to answer all of his questions and know everything there is to know and to change his life. The risk of disappointing him seemed high, but I felt it was worth the risk to see if I could help him even with a few small things. My friend and I went back and forth trying to find a good time for us to meet up, and months passed. Finally, last week, we were able to arrange a meetup. I wanted to tell you about the experiences that we had together in hopes that you'll tuck some of these tidbits into the back of your brain for the future, just in case someone needs your help. I deployed a few strategies that I think helped make this a success. First of all, I went to Rich's house rather than making him come to me. I wanted to see him in his own environment, using his own tools, sitting in his own chair, at his own desk. The other thing this caused is that I got to meet his family, and that also turned out to be important. When I first got there, Rich and his wife very enthusiastically wanted to show me the tools he had gotten from the Braille Institute. The fact that it took ages to plan this meetup turned out to be advantageous because it gave him some time to get information from Braille, the people that actually know this stuff. One very important thing to Rich was to be able to read a newspaper, a paper newspaper. At Braille, he'd acquired a handheld magnification device. He was able to hold it over the newspaper, change the magnification and contrast for maximum clarity for him. I gotta tell you, he was quite taken with this device and proud of it. I asked him to show me his iPhone, and he showed me that it was on a lanyard around his neck. His daughter had gotten him the lanyard, and he found it very useful to keep from misplacing his phone. That was a good tip in and of itself. Now, not to take anything away from the device he got at Braille, I did want to show him, though, the built-in magnifier in iOS. I opened up Settings, Control Center, and then selected Customize Controls. At this point, you can add and delete items from Control Center using the plus and minus buttons, and then use the little hamburger buttons to change the display order of the chosen controls. I added the magnifier, which looks like a magnifying glass with a plus on it in Control Center. Now, when swiping up from the bottom of his iPhone 7 screen, it would, of course, be down from the top right if you had a more recent phone, he could select the magnifier. Now, the magnifier is similar to the camera app, but it defaults to being zoomed up a bit. You can change the real-time zoom with a slider and then more easily read what is ever under your camera. 
I showed Rich how he could move the phone around and adjust the zoom to read his newspaper, just like he was able to do with his Braille-supplied device. He started using it, but he didn't get super excited about it. He thanked me for the idea, but sadly said it just wasn't going to work for him. He said it was far too blurry to do any good. And then he realized he was wearing the wrong glasses. He pulled out his reading glasses and exclaimed that the iPhone magnifier was really great. We all had kind of a big laugh about that. Well, I showed him how with magnifier you can tap the shutter button and then it'll freeze the image. I use this all of the time when I'm trying to read, say, like a MAC address or a serial number off a tiny sticker on a piece of electronics. Once you freeze the image, you can use the zoom slider to zoom in and out on the image and you can pan around the image. I didn't want to overwhelm him, but there's a few other features I didn't explain. You can turn on a flash inside the magnifier, and there's also a lock button which will lock the focus. You may be wondering why any of this is better than just using the camera app. Magnifier opens at a closer zoom, like I said, than the camera app, and it's designed to solve this specific problem. If you use the camera and take snapshots with it, you then have to zoom in manually, and the shots fill up your camera roll with nonsense. I didn't notice it before writing or telling him about that, but there's also a button to control brightness and contrast. Not only that, you can change the colors of what you're viewing. With some forms of vision loss, notably macular degeneration, different color combinations are easier for different people. I tried magnifier looking at some handwritten text that was black on a white piece of paper. With the contrast controls, I could change the uh, text to blue on white or white text on a blue background. They have blue, yellow, inverted grayscale, black, yellow, and black, red. I can't wait to tell Rich about this. I mentioned that meeting Rich in person with his family was critical to show to how well this went. You see, Rich is also quite hard of hearing, and he has Bluetooth-enabled hearing aids, but verbal communications were still a challenge. The family and I sat around the table chatting, and I could see a sort of disconnected look on Rich's face as he sat quietly. After my father lost a fair amount of hearing, he used to get that same look when there was a lot of chatter in a loud room, which meant he couldn't really follow what was going on. Knowing that Rich had the Bluetooth-enabled hearing aids, I had another idea. We went back into Settings, Control Center, Customized Controls again, and this time I added the hearing control. Hearing allows you to enable what's called Live Listen using AirPods or a vast collection of compatible hearing aids. I tapped on the hearing icon and it popped up a screen where I could select his hearing aids. I turned the feature on and placed his phone in the middle of the kitchen table. I wish you could have seen the look on his face as he exclaimed with delight, I can hear her! At first I didn't understand, but the family explained that Rich, Rich simply cannot hear his daughter's voice. She speaks fairly softly and evidently at a frequency that's simply gone for Rich. But with live listen enabled on his iPhone, he could actually hear her again. They all chattered away to him with such pleasure that he could hear them all so much more clearly. That part of the visit made the entire trip with, worthwhile. At this point, Rich's wife exclaimed, You know, they didn't even tell us about that at Braille. After a heartbeat, she said, Oh, wait, Braille is for the blind. <laughs> we had another good laugh about that. Now, listening to television when you've got hearing loss can be a real challenge. Rich has a device that hooks up to the TV and then pipes the audio over Bluetooth directly into his hearing aids. It works great, but when they're in this mode, they don't pass any ambient noise to his ears, so he can't hear his wife when she talks. She said he'll ask her a question, and then he can't hear the answer. We thought maybe live listen would work to solve this problem, so we put Rich's phone between the TV and his wife and asked him how well he was able to hear the TV. 
Unfortunately, he said the TV didn't come through clearly for him at all. To be fair, the TV audio was pretty bad coming through built-in TV speakers. Oh well, they can't all be winners. Well, it was time to go into Rich's room where he works and plays on his iMac. My friend had gone had done a great deal to improve the readability of his iMac for Rich, lowering the screen resolution and setting fonts as big as they could go. He turned on Zoom for the dock so the icons were huge as he slid his mouse across, allowing him to easily see which app he wanted to launch. My friend had also taught Rich to use Command Plus to increase the font size on web pages and Command Minus to decrease the font size. So things were looking pretty good so far. But then Rich opened Adobe Illustrator where he does a lot of artwork for his surfboard design company. Yep, he's still designing and he enjoys the heck out of it. He showed me how the layers panel uh, has text that's wee tiny and he can't see anything there at all. Again, this is why going to his house was critical to figuring out what he needed. I turned on one of my personal favorite accessibility features of macOS called Zoom. I like to configure it as, a fo as follows. In System Preferences, Accessibility, select Zoom in the left sidebar. Then find the checkbox for Use Scroll Gesture with Modifier Keys to Zoom. By default, it will be set to use the Control key, but you can change it to Option or Command if you like. Once you have this checkbox turned on, you can set the Zoom style at the bottom of the window. I personally find it's easiest to use it when it's set to full screen. With Zoom enabled as I described, you simply hold down the control key and scroll up on your trackpad or mouse to zoom in right where you've left your cursor. It seems to be natural to leave your cursor where you're trying to see something, so control zooming to that point is very natural. If you're trying to click on a menu, it's even more likely that you've got your cursor near that thing you want to see. Once you've read what you need to see, you simply control scroll back down to return to normal. I use this all the time, and it's been around in macOS forever. I mean, I, at least 10 to 15 years I've been using this. In fact, I'll use it in presentations so I can show people that are far away some small text on the screen. The other option, which I don't really favor, is to set the zoom style to picture-in-picture. Picture. This brings up a rectangular window in which the zoom is presented. It makes me feel claustrophobic, like I'm using a magnifying glass instead of the whole window zooming up. I get easily lost. It's good that it's an option, but like I said, full screen zoom is much better for me. Now, zoom has quite a few other options, like controlling the minimum and maximum zoom and a lot more, but just that setting by itself works wonders for me, and that's why I set it up that way for Rich. I showed Rich how to use control scroll, and it took him quite a few tries before he got the hang of it. I actually led him astray at first because I use a magic trackpad and he uses a magic mouse. So I think I told him to use two fingers instead of one to do the scroll or one instead of two. I forget, but whatever it was, I had it backwards. So it made it hard for him to start learning it. But he persevered and he kept working at it to get the gesture right until finally it started to be a natural motion for him. Once he got the hang of it, he zoomed in on the layers in Adobe InDesign and expressed joy that he could see the little eyeball to turn the layers on and off again. To be able to do this again was such a happy thing for him. The last thing I did before I left was buy him a copy of Shelley Brisbane's book, iOS Access for All, from iosaccessbook.com. This book is sort of like the manual Apple should have written, all about the accessibility features of iOS. I imported it into Apple Books on his Mac and showed him how he could increase the font just like he does on Safari using Command Plus, and he was off to the races. I could tell if I left right then, he'd be absorbed in the book for quite a while. By the way, iOS Access for All is currently about iOS 11, but the iOS 12 version is going to be published any day now. 
I have to say that above all, the reason this effort was so successful was Rich's attitude. He didn't just try things once or twice and then give up because it was too hard. He kept at it. He was motivated and he enjoyed learning. I have to say, I want to be like Rich when I grow up. Dumb. 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 Dumb questions. Dumb questions. Dumb questions. What What is? How come I always have to? It's time for Dumb Question Corner. In our Facebook group over at podfeet.com slash Facebook, John Mola asked what we like to call around here a dumb question. In other words, a really interesting good question that might trip up a lot of people. Here's what he posted. How do you see how big a picture is? I took a screenshot and also a picture of a paper, and I wanted to send them to a group text, but it's not working. Some told me they think it's too big. Now, to clarify, John is trying to do this on an iPhone, not on a Mac. John received a few good suggestions about how to figure this out, but I found the problem intriguing enough to jump in too. One idea came up, I came up with was the same suggestion that Rick Abraham had uh, also given him. I didn't notice that he had said the same thing when I added my idea. So I'm going to take dual credit, but Rick technically was first. Anyway, the main problem is that Apple hasn't ever added the most basic functionality to photos on iOS that you get over on the Mac. Drives me bonkers that I can't rename my photos from my iPhone or iPad or see any of the metadata like John wants to see. The idea Rick and I suggested requires no third-party software, but it's a bit of a hack. But it would work for John's purpose. If you tap on the share button for the image in question and choose email first, and then address the email to yourself, you can then hit send. Before it sends, if the image is large, it it will suggest that you could reduce the size of your message by choosing one of the scaled image options shown and reveal the sizes of the options. I tested this idea using a screenshot that had a lot of detail in the image. The email I created offered me choices from small at 66 kilobytes up to large at 260 kilobytes, but it also showed me that the full-size image was 2 megabytes. I took another screenshot, this time of the settings app, and evidently all of that plain white space makes for a very small image, so when I hit send, it didn't offer to let me shrink the image. It actually just sent the image. I opened it on my Mac, and it turned out that screenshot was only 300 kilobytes. I thought it was interesting that Apple Mail was smart enough to know it didn't need to offer me any smaller sizes. But this definitely shows you that you can find out how big an image is simply by trying to email it to yourself. If you truly do just want to see the metadata on an image on iOS, you can download the free, with ads, Photo Investigator app in the App Store. The app is atrociously ugly, it's not optimized for the iPhone X and XS screen, and the ads are revolting. I mean, they're like mustard color. I mean, they're just really, really ugly. But for free, it will show you the size of any image in your library. It also shows you the geolocation, the time and date the image was taken, and the EXIF data for things like ISO, shutter speed, and the rest of that. It was really hard to figure out how to actually buy this app. There's this kind of puke-colored banner at the top that is partially covered up by the notch around which the developer hasn't yet designed. In that banner, I read the words on the left and the right and figured out it was trying to offer to let me buy the app. For $2.99, you can edit your photo's locations, captions, copyright, and timestamps, and you get the annoying ads removed. There's another option, and it's one you've heard me talk about in detail, and that's hash photos for iOS. 
I am in still in love with this app and everything it can do. I use it all the time. Hash Photos allows you to see the size of the file, but it isn't ugly and it has no ads. And the app is free for a lot of the features. Even if you pay the top for all of the features, it's only four bucks. And remember that Hash Photos has an, an extension to resize images too, so you could resize an image all inside Hash Photos and send your text message directly from there. John Muller and I have gone back and forth on these solutions, and he appreciates the help. But the more we dug into it, the more we're sure there was something else preventing him from sending these images via group text. He checked his ISP, which is Sprint, and their limit is 90 megabytes, which is, you know, video size, not photo size. But I thought the exercise was pretty fun anyway to figure out how to work around Apple's dumb restrictions on what photos can do in iOS. I am super excited about something Amazon has done recently. They came out with something they call OneLink. OneLink allows me to create Amazon affiliate links in the Amazon.com store, but if you're from one of the countries for which I've created an account, the links will automatically redirect you to your country's store. For example, if you're in the UK and you hit an Amazon.com link, it will take you to Amazon.co.uk. I have linked the accounts for the UK, Canada, and Germany. This means when anyone from any of those countries clicks on a link for a product I've recommended, their purchase may result in a small percentage going back to help the podcast production. I do want to thank all of you who've been purchasing via Amazon on podfeed.com. One odd thing, and it took me a long time to figure this out, in fact, I had to get Amazon on chat, is that the images where you see the image and the text at the same time, those won't work. You won't ever get redirected. But if I give you just an image or just the text, or I make a little block of those two things together, those will work. So I'll be working on trying to make sure I give you a text link so you can actually get to the product in the store of your choice. Like me, and you've procrastinated till the very end of Apple's $29 battery replacement program, you might still be able to get it done before the real deal disappears at the end of 2018. Now, I procrastinated because the phones weren't in really bad shape. They were like around 89% health. But I finally decided to go for it anyway. I went online to make an appointment at the Apple store to have them replace the batteries in three phones. I tried to get an appointment, and I could get one basically never. I called AppleCare to see if they could help me get an appointment. They sometimes have superpowers when it comes to making appointments, especially further out that us mortals can see on the schedule. They couldn't get me an appointment at my Apple store, but they said, how would you feel about doing it at Best Buy? I'm actually a fan of Best Buy, but I'd never really taken the Geek Squad seriously. Not only did they suggest Best Buy, the lovely gentleman on the phone actually made me three successive appointments for me at my local Best Buy store. You don't have to wait for the three appointment times, but you definitely have to have multiple appointments to get multiple phones repaired. I was a bit trepidatious about the Geek Squad, but I have to say that it was a great experience. The gentleman who took my phones absolutely knew what he was doing. He was efficient, skilled, and had the right tools. He ran some diagnostics, and he enjoyed showing them to me. I asked him if I could take a photo of the screen, but he said he really wasn't supposed to show it to me as it's proprietary Apple software. The purpose of the diagnostics was to make sure that nothing else is wrong with the phone. In my case, the only test they failed was the battery test. Two of the phones came up yellow for batteries. These were Lindsay's iPhone 7 Plus and Nolan's iPhone 6 Plus. 
I wasn't surprised that Nolan's iPhone 6 Plus had failed because he'd been having some serious slowdowns with it. It was really painful to watch him to try to use it. Now, the reason I had Lindsay and Nolan's phones were because we gave them to, we gave them Steve and my iPhones 10. Mostly it was to help Nolan, but we figured Lindsay could use one too. It also helped us justify buying the iPhone 10s. You know, you got to have a reason for it. Anyway, there was a surprise. I told you those two phones failed the battery test. My iPhone 7 Plus that I use for doing video tutorials for Screencast Online did not fail. It simply never finished the battery test at all. My little Geek Squad friend, I wish I'd gotten his name. Anyway, he explained that when a phone doesn't finish the battery test, it usually means that the battery is so bad it can't finish. I didn't even know that phone was in such bad shape at all, so I was really glad I got it done. As we watched the test, I found out that he's an Android fan, and so we chatted about what's fun in the Android universe. I think he was surprised that I was interested, but I told him, you know what, we're over the whole religious battle about Android versus iOS. It seems like it's time to come together these days, not find reasons to be at odds. He explained after the test that the phones would be ready in three hours because he's required to quote one hour for each phone in series. I told him not to sweat it. I'd be back the next day. I picked up the three phones the next day, and after checking that all three phones were at 100%, I was good to go. For $29, all under the Apple Battery Replacement Program, I had far less hassle than dealing with an Apple store. I am now a fan of Best Buy's Geek Squad, and will probably check it out as an option for the future. Well, I know I probably didn't need to play the Tiny Tip music again, but I really like it. It makes me dance in my chair. Well, one of the most challenging things in photo manipulation is pulling people out of a photo. Sometimes you want to do this to make beautiful artwork, taking somebody and putting them in a different setting. Sometimes you just want to make something funny. In any case, it's hard to do with a great deal of time and effort. Tools like Affinity Photo make it easier where you do kind of a coarse selection around a person and then you use the refine tool to try to get more detail, especially hard spots like around hair. I've watched a lot of videos on how to do this, but I've never gotten good at it. I'm a member of a, a few Facebook groups for Affinity products, included one called Affinity Photo Tutorials, and I'm fascinated by what, by what amazing work these people do with these tools. But I have to say, when I try to use the tools to remove people, it never works out like I expect. I think the missing piece for me might be patience. The tutorials often speed up the tedious parts, which makes me think, wow, that's going to be easy. But this kind of work is really, really time consuming. I just don't stick with it. And I usually just give up. One of my buddies in the affinity groups is a super, super helpful guy that you've already heard me talk about on the show. His name is Rick Abraham. This week, he sent over a link to an incredible web service that is designed to help you remove people from backgrounds. He asked me to share it with you. The website he found is called remove.bg. Get it? Remove background? Anyway, here's the entire tip. Go to remove.bg, click the button that says select a photo. Wait five seconds. You'll now have your image with just the person. That's it. Okay, there's a few caveats. The picture must have a person's face in it for this to work. It doesn't work on any other kind of image. The other thing is the resulting image will only be 500 pixels square. They're working on making it bigger, but for now, that's what you get. I uploaded a very silly photo of my grandson Forbes, not just because it was an excuse to show you how adorable he is, that was just a side benefit, but also because I had an idea for a funny image. 
In the photo, he's facing the camera, wearing pajamas and funny goggles. I think they're from the Minions movie. Anyway, the goggles are covering his eyes. He's crouched down like he's about to jump. I uploaded that picture, and in literally five seconds, I have a picture of him perfectly carved out of the background. I clicked on the download button, and now a new page came up with just him, suitable for for saving to my drive. I opened up Affinity Photo on my iPad. I opened a picture of a nice Mars landscape, and then I chose Place Image, selected Forbes, and dragged him around till he looked like he belonged on Mars. The whole process was under 10 minutes, and that included searching for the appropriate NASA image. The about page for remove.bg explains that the processing is done uh, via AI. And I think everything is these days, right? Anyway, they use AI to detect foreground layers and separate them from the background. They invite you to sign up for their mailing list to get more details as they publish them. They're planning on releasing an easy-to-use API for remove.bg soon, so it can be implemented inside apps, websites, or other digital products. I presume this will be the basis for a business model, but they didn't specifically say that. They do have a very simple privacy statement that says that your images are uploaded via an SSL TLS encrypted connection. They do store the results so you can download them, but after about an hour, they delete your files. They don't share your images or use them for any purpose there other than removing the background and letting you download the resultant image. It's great fun and a useful tool to keep in your back pocket for real art or just for putting your grandson on Mars. Check it out at remove.bg. And thanks so much to Rick Abraham for sharing this awesome tip with us. And now I'd like to wind up the show with a message from Steve for the holidays. Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a trackpad. Okay, work with me here. The earbuds were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that all things eye-maker soon would be there. The Nocilla castaways were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of iPads danced in their heads. And Podfeet in her kerchief and I in my cravat had just settled down for a long winter Skype chat. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the keyboard to see what was the matter. Away to the windows! I flew like a flash drive, tore open the shutters, and nearly did a nosedive. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of brushed aluminum to objects below. When what to my eyes seemed very bizarre, but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny cars. With the little old driver with whom helves hobnob, I knew in a moment it must be Honda Bob. More rapid than 4G his vehicles they came, and he tweeted and shouted and called them by name. Now Accord, now Civic, now Fit and CRV, on Element, on Ridgeline, on Pilot and Odyssey, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now drive away, drive away, drive away all. As dry leaves that before the reality distortion field endowed, when they meet with an obstacle mount to the cloud, so up to the housetop the vehicles they flew, with the sleigh full of Apple products, and Honda Bob too. And then in a twinkling, I heard with a squeal the skidding and sliding of each little wheel. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney Bob came with a bound. He was dressed in coveralls from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with oil and soot. A bundle of SSDs he had flung in his Scotty vest, and he looked like a geek who was extremely obsessed. 
a wink of his eye and a look not too pious, soon gave me to know he had an apple bias. He spoke not a word, but texted his concern, and he filled all the stockings and then hit return. And laying a finger aside his levitation app, a command to his iPad, up the chimney, ASAP. He sprang to his sleigh, and the autos did they bristle, and away they all flew as if shot from a missile. But I heard him exclaim as the poem prescribed, Happy Christmas to all, and please stay subscribed. Well, I'm glad that we have some traditions that will never go away. Honda Bob is our friend forever, and I'm sure uh, those of you who've been listening for a long time will remember how much fun he has been on the show over the years. Thank you, Steve, for that rendition. Well, I think that's going to wind us up for this week. We will be having a show next week because we'd never miss a show. And don't forget to send in your dumb questions. It'd be great to keep getting them. And you can email those to me at allison at podfeet.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, go to at podfeet. Remember, anything you want at Podfeet that's good is going to be podfeet.com slash whatever it is. You want to become a Patreon? Go to podfeet.com slash Patreon. Want to join that Facebook group I mentioned? Podfeet.com slash Facebook. Lots of stuff going on over in Slack. We've got uh, George from Telsa helping uh, Frank Petrie having a good time in our Slack group. That's at podfeet.com slash Slack. You can also join our live chat room at podfeet.com slash chat. And you can find Amazon affiliate links at podfeet.com slash Amazon. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, I'm pretty sure we will have one uh, next week. That would be Sunday the 30th, if my ciphering's correct. Maybe not. We'll see. Anyway, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. I hope you have a wonderful holiday. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.